Want to go ahead and read the thing? I will go ahead and read the thing. Thank you. It was a warm July day in 1518. It was early in the town of Strasbourg, with the sun just rising over the Cathedral of Our Lady's Towers. And there was the sound of drumming on the wind. In addition to the drums, one might hear the thready whining of flutes and the jangle of tambourines echoing off the empty cobblestone streets. An enormous wooden platform had been erected in an open space once used for horse trading, and it was packed, in some cases shoulder to shoulder, with a ragged, sweaty throng of dancers. One might think it was a carnival, but the musicians were tired, exhausted, banging and blowing away at their instruments. There were the familiar steps of local folk dances, all energetic leaping and spinning, the people making the steps were all wrong, lacking both harmony and unity, and the dancers constantly colliding and stepping on each other's feet. Worse, the expressions of the dancers were not joyous or even pleased. They all seemed to be in terrible pain. Some were openly weeping, others cried out for help, and all had a glazed, faraway look in their eyes as though moving through a nightmare. A woman at the edge of the platform tottered and fell down in a swoon, one could see that the soles of her shoes were worn completely away, and her still twitching feet were bloody and raw. The drums thumped on, the sun blazed down, the dancers stumbled and waved their arms with a terrible, ceaseless energy. One would look for some direction, someone who could explain what was happening. But unfortunately, even to this day, no one really knows why the citizens of Strasbourg began to dance in July and could not stop until September. On this episode of Relative Disasters, The Dancing Plague of 1518. Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events and their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, Chair of the Historical Hysteria Department here at Relative Disasters University. And I'm her brother Greg, Vice President of Dance Marathon Organization at Relative Disasters Incorporated. So as far as disasters go, the Dancing Plague of 1518 doesn't really fit neatly into a category. It has aspects of like infectious disease outbreak or yep. mass hysteria. But yeah. you really have to look at it as like the culmination of a series of smaller disasters that took place in Strasbourg. <laughs> okay, so we're going to we're going to talk about like seven hundred years of history in in the Strasbourg area before we get to the dance. I'm sorry, plague. are you not going to let me talk about seven hundred <laughs> the complete medieval history of Europe? Welcome to part one of our nine hundred part series on. No, it's its own podcast now. <laughs> We don't talk about any other disasters. We're in Strasbourg and we're going to stay there. Uh, well, at least let me talk about a couple Absolutely. Things. No, no, okay. no. I'm totally here for the history. Uh, so broad strokes, the social structure of late medieval Europe was kind of like reaching the point of extreme poverty versus extreme wealth. Like we complain nowadays that there's no real middle class or that there's a dwindling middle class. Yeah. At this time... At this point in history and this particular community, there really is very 
little of a middle class. Yep. You have poor people becoming extremely, extremely impoverished. Yep. And you have wealthy people getting richer and richer. And there's no in between. You there's either very little you, in between. You either have all the money or you eat dirt every day and, and there isn't somebody who has some money and therefore doesn't have to eat dirt every day. Right. It's like the wealth disparity at this time is I don't know if I'd say the worse it's ever been in human history, but it's bad. It's, it's real bad, it's, yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Uh, and the worst part to me is that there's no mobility at all. You can definitely no, no fall from the wealthy class. You cannot reach the wealthy class if you are right. not there. Not born into it. If you're not born it, into exactly. it, right. Yeah. Um, and if you're born into the bottom half of this class structure, you're going to not only stay there, you're going to have a really short, dangerous, uneducated mm -hmm. life of probably very heavy labor. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be able to own much, and you're probably going to be really hungry for your entire life. And your yeah. only solace is going to be... Is it dancing? Chocolate. No, it's the church. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, this is... And, and this is one of those things where um, when you look at the role of the church... Strasbourg was in Alsace, which is modern-day France. But at the time, it's part of the Holy Roman Empire. Right. You don't necessarily have a, uh, you know... There's no religion a la carte at this point in time. You are either part of the church of the state or you're, you know, stabbed until you stop moving. Yeah, there's really no other church. <laughs> um, and the yeah. Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, is incredibly powerful. It's Oh, yeah, huge. They're, they're more powerful than, like, most governments in the world at this point. They can order wars. They can overthrow communities. Yeah. Right. And with absolute power comes a lot of corruption. Uh, this is the era Golly, of popes. Really? <laughs> <laughs> popes amassing just huge collections of like oh, gold yeah. art. Yep. Uh, the monks were eating themselves and drinking themselves silly in this area, which yep. considering the amount of starvation that was also going on is not a good look. And yeah. maybe worst of all, this actually blew my mind in a really sad way to read this. The church is in the money loan business in Strasbourg. Yeah. If you need yeah. money, you go to a monastery and yeah. you borrow some money and you have to pay it back at crippling interest. You're never going to pay off that debt. No. And and there's also this is also part of the indulgences era. Oh, we'll get to so, the indulgences. This is oh separate from the indulgences. This is like, hey, I need a couple Oh, no, I know. Pennies, I know. This, yeah. <laughs> so my kids don't starve. And, yeah. Please take my farm and everything I own. Yeah. So they're also buying debt. Yep. The church or an abbey or a monastery yep. can buy your debt, and then they can start asking you to uh, pay up. They're like, like a collection agency. Well, they're like a combination of collection agency and loan shark and payday lender. Like, they're they're the absolute worst of the money lending you can think of. So what's going on at this time in Strasbourg is just the absolute worst of capitalism and Christianity in huge air quotes combined. Yeah, because this isn't Christianity. This is people enriching themselves by terrifying other people into following their faith. Right. And to give you an idea of how corrupt and greedy the church is at this time... The amount of indulgences sold by the current pope over oh, the past God. few years is so outrageous that yeah. it inspires Martin Luther to write his 95 theses. <laughs> yeah, 
No, that's what we're talking about here. That's this how is, bad this it is got. The birth of Protestantism. <laughs> it right made here. a new religion. That's how bad it got. <laughs> well, because indulgences are are like they're very emblematic of the absolute worst of the church of this time. Right. For for our listeners who maybe don't know what an indulgence is, it's essentially you go out and sin. And then instead of repenting and 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 trying to make things right, you just give a bunch of money to the church and they forgive you for it. Like you can literally go out and like just stab somebody to death, hand a uh, hand a monk, you know, 200 bucks and you're fine. And it's it, it's gross. We should make clear this is not something that happens now. No, absolutely not. Um, this is a very old idea and it's not a good idea, which is why no. we don't do it anymore. Well, and it's also, you know antithetical to faith. don't at me pope francis <laughs> we love you pope francis no, he's thank you he's great indulgences of course raise a huge amount of money for yep. the church and the reason why people are paying for indulgences especially people in the bottom half of this is class because of hell <laughs> is because there is a huge amount of pressure on these people who have nothing i'm sorry this is just like a miserable it is existence it is they have and the nothing. only hope they have is that they're going to go to heaven when they die yep. and things will be better there. Yep. So that's how the church is getting away with this. Yeah. It's a protection racket for your soul at this point. Right. Which makes it so hard to resist. You know, yeah, absolutely. like things are horrible. Things are horrible. Things are unbelievably horrible. And but you still got heaven. But we promise they'll be better after you die. Uh, so this leads to this almost fanatical devotion to this incredibly corrupt church, yep. which includes at this time a ton of saints. Yes. It's not just the big three, right? And in the theology these people are being fed, the saints are not necessarily there to help. They're there to be appeased because if they're not happy, they're just going to start ruining things. They're angry saints oh and they're very powerful. <laughs> they also provide a kind of like spiritual backup to the church, like the guys who will come and like break your kneecaps if you miss a loan payment. Right. Only instead of a kneecap, it's going to be like your kids coming down with smallpox or your crop failing or your house burning down. Oh my God. And there is at this time plenty of bad luck going around. How far back do you want me to go? How, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> 1492. There's a very dramatic comet that goes over the area and actually crashes to the ground right across the border in Germany. Okay. In uh, 1492. And this is followed immediately. It's seen, of course, as a sign that God is angry. It's followed immediately by waves of black plague, uh, famine, hard freezes, crop losses, floods, syphilis. Syphilify? <laughs> syphilis outbreaks, which nobody has seen in this area before. Okay. So nobody knows how to deal with it or what it is. The church sees all of these as signs of God's wrath. And... The city government of Strasbourg responds by outlawing music, gambling, sex work, the press, and dancing. Uh, but if you really have to do any of those things, they're more than happy to sell you an indulgence when you're done. So, so you can still get into heaven if you're rich. So the peasant class does try to revolt a couple times in the first few years of the 16th century, but... They're starving and disorganized. And they have no real weapons, and the guys in charge have swords. Right. Yeah, the, the peasant revolt of 1504 was real bad. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. We can just leave it at that. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> Or we to... could get into it. Nope. Just going to leave it. It was real bad, folks. Moving on. 
And, you know, there are some smaller kind of quasi-rebellions, but they fall apart because as soon as someone has valuable information, they just sell it because they're starving. Yeah. Yep. So people get turned in, people get executed, another small rebellion pops up, the same thing happens. So there's no kind of like meaningful resistance or change. And by 1517, the harvests have been so poor and the church is sucking up so much of the food and money that the rest of the people need to survive. There are reports, not singular, plural, of poor women in Strasbourg drowning their infants so that their older children have a chance of not starving to death. I mean, when we say real bad, (laughs) that's that's the level we're talking about. And that's just heartbreaking because, I mean... What's happening is just a severe, it's a severe economic and social imbalance. And those kind of imbalances are not sustainable. (laughs) And we're going to see in this next incident kind of the beginning of... Change. Real lasting change. Change. Thank you. And it's real weird. It's It's super weird (laughs) and it's great and I'm 100% here for it. So when the spring of 1518 brings floods and hailstorms and the threat of another poor harvest, the stress and anxiety of the working class parts of the city reaches a breaking point and a lone woman takes to the street and begins to dance. And we're not talking like she's waltzing. This is like a collapsing, my brain has dribbled out my ears, rave-style dancing. This is limbs flailing. This is nothing graceful. There's no music. There's no music. And it's described as like a hopping, twirling dance to a broken rhythm that only she can hear. A few dozen years later, Peter Bruegel draws some women who are doing an entranced dance that's very similar to what this is described as. And they just look like... They're just flailing around. It looks like someone having a seizure and standing yeah, on their feet. It really, that, that's an excellent uh, description of it because it really does look like Thank that. Thank you. Um, and it's not, it doesn't look like dancing. Dancing is just the closest word to what we have for it. Yeah, that's a great point. It's not really a dancing plague. It's like a It's a twitching plague. <laughs> moving. It's not twitching. It's more dramatic. Yeah. It's like a gross motor thing. Yeah. So after a couple hours of dancing, her husband comes out of the house and tells her she needs to stop. She's embarrassing him. And she starts to cry and says she can't. She dances in the street all day with crowds of people watching. And in the middle of the night, she collapses. And in the morning, she jumps up and starts dancing again. And she's pleading for help. Her feet are bloody. Her shoes are falling apart. She can't stop. And onlookers can see that she's not fully conscious. She's described in being... What sounds like a dissociative trance state, like she can speak, but she's not conscious of the state of her feet after a while, which are just, again, falling apart. Um, And she's hallucinating. She's hallucinating rivers of blood, demons. Okay. And even though she's begging for help, she cannot stop. She can't stop moving. She can't stop dancing. And then other people start joining in. Not right now. So at first, this is just an isolated incident, and most of the onlookers think this has to be demonic possession that's directly related to this woman. Right. Because, you know, what else could it be? Oh, did you know also this is directly after the Malleus Maleficarum is first written and printed? Yay. But this doesn't turn into a witchcraft thing. No, thank <laughs> Thankfully, <goodness>. because... <laughs> Many more people would have died. People actually start to think that this obsessive dancing is a sign, like the comet and the famine and the plague. They're being punished for their disobedience and wicked excess. And this time it seems obvious to people that they're being punished by a specific saint, Saint Vitus. Did you come across him in your... I did! In your reading? Um, Our friend, Saint Vitus. So, Saint Vitus is 
he's an interesting saint. He died at the age of like 12 or 13. He did not live very long. No. He may or may not have been martyred. He may or may not, like all of his hagiography is, we basically don't know anything about this guy. He's pretty obscure. He's very obscure, but he has been venerated. Mm -hmm. He's usually depicted in a cauldron when he's uh, right in his iconography. But he is the patron saint of many, many things, among them dancers and epilepsy. And those struck by lightning. Yes. And also actors and comedians <laughs> and dogs. He's a, he's oh, a really? patron saint of dogs. He is the patron saint of oversleeping. So I'm 100% wow. for this dude. All right. He's, those are all like. He's also the patron saint of snake bites. I'm not down with that. Yeah. And rheumatic chorea, which is a, a muscular disorder, is called St. Vitus's Dance. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because now I can segue into my next point. Like epilepsy and lightning strikes, chorea is a real thing. Yeah. I will actually quote you the description from the differential diagnosis of chorea. Chorea is a hyperkinetic movement disorder characterized by excessive spontaneous movements that are irregularly timed, randomly distributed, and abrupt. Yep. It ranges in severity from restlessness with mild intermittent exaggeration of gesture and expression to an unstable dance-like gait that has a continuous flowing of disabling and violent movements. And I think that's really the best description of what these people are seeing in Strasbourg when they're watching this woman dance. But of course, witnesses are not going to associate it with neurology, but something closer to a spiritual disorder or a curse. So when they're looking at this dancing, they're seeing an angry St. Vitus. St. Vitus. So after six days of nonstop dancing, this poor woman was carted up the hill to a grotto 30 miles away to pray and sacrifice at a shrine to St. Vitus. And there she leaves the historical record. I hope she gets some rest. I hope she gets some new shoes. But back in Strasbourg, her dancing seems to have inspired people who were now gripped by the same compulsive movements. Now, these were people who had seen her dancing and were now starting to dance themselves. And in the same way, right? They were they were uncontrollable? They're described as entranced. Okay. So they're also seeing things. They're screaming for help. They can't stop dancing. And soon there are so many of them, and the dancing was spreading so quickly that the city is forced to take action. Okay. So they assemble 21 aldermen, and these dudes decide... That the best thing to do would be to isolate the dancers, which is actually a really good idea, yep. and let them dance it out with the help of some fast music, <laughs> which is a really bad idea. <laughs> they were probably thinking of the Spanish ritual of dancing the tarantella to cure a tarantula bite. Have you ever Okay, heard this? this is one of my favorite things, if only because of Athanasius Kircher. Sorry, I'll bite. <laughs> Athanasius Kircher was a Jesuit scholar... And a researcher, well, researcher, in the fields of, obviously, religion, um, geology, and medicine. He is one of those guys who just sort of got into everything. He tried to decipher hieroglyphic writings of the ancient Egyptians. He Whoa. Uh, he really liked Sinology, so he, he wrote an encyclopedia of China. The Jesuits, and, man. And, again, we're talking guys. like early to mid 1600s here so it's after this but mm-hmm. he he also ah this is a cool thing he used a microscope 
to look at the blood of plague victims. Nice. He thought that the plague was caused by worms, which he called animalicules in the blood. I mean... And what he was probably looking at were red or white blood cells that were, you know, getting blown apart by by the plague but he was on the right track he was on the right track and he told people isolate quarantine burn the the dead infected and burn their clothes and wear a face mask to prevent the germs coming into your body hey well now you're just getting political there's no reason for that in the black death (laughs) sorry i had anyway and so one of the things that that he proposed was if you got bitten by the wolf spider species mm-hmm. from Taranto, which is called a tarantula, named after the region, you needed to shimmy. <laughs> well, the tarantella is a really old folk dance. It is. I think what he was saying was that, oh, this is a completely effective and wonderful way to get venom out of your body. And Which... And the thing is, is it kind of is. Staying active is really important for exactly. your Exactly. My if doctor you get, likes to tell me. In this case, <laughs> if you get bitten by the Lycosa tarantula, mm-hmm. which is the the tarantula the big hairy one it has venom yeah and the venom is tailored towards insects and very small mammals but if you get bitten by it it hurts it hurts really badly but if you keep active and you keep your blood pumping apparently that helps alleviate symptoms uh here at relative disasters we do promote the idea of healthy heart healthy life and we do recommend that you do 30 minutes of cardiovascular exercise per day just for the tarantulas dance the tarantella dance the tarantella (laughs) it doesn't have to be a spin class it doesn't have to be lifting weights tarantella that'll get you there so anyway the entire reason i went on that tangent about athanasius kircher is that he was he was a prominent scholar and was big into um, dancing the tarantella to get tarantula venom out of you. I am 100% behind this guy's thinking. I like it. And so did the administrations back in Strasbourg. Back in Strasbourg. People were on his team. They thought that all these guys had to do was dance it out. And what better place to do it than on a giant platform in the sun with hired musicians. That actually sounds like a terrible idea, mostly because you're going to have everybody dying of heat stroke. Well, hindsight is always 2020, isn't it? It is actually a very bad idea. They also hire people to dance with the dancers. So what? To make sure that they're moving as fast as they possibly can. Are they hoping that exhaustion will make people stop dancing? Yes. Or is it just is the, does the thinking only go as far as Let's just let these kooky kids get it out of their system. Well, this is the end of the medieval period, and people still believe in humors. you got to keep your humors in balance. Right. We, we right. can actually take an extra half an hour if you want and get into the whole idea of like making sure that your blood is healthy through balancing your bile, but uh, in broad strokes. <laughs> in broad strokes, humors are weird. Right, and one thing that they think thought was that if you just kept your heart going as fast as you could, it would just pump all that blood through all of your other substances and clean everything out, and you would be fit and healthy 
ASAP. So they were expecting people to dance and then feel better and stop dancing. And did that happen, Ellen? And that's not what happened. <laughs> no, people start dying. You predicted it. Oh, no. <laughs> One contemporary account puts it at 15 deaths per day, which works out to about 300 people dropping dead of this crazy dance marathon. But this number is contested. There's no real... Yeah. Nobody's keeping track. Nobody's keeping track of how many good people got sick, but it seemed like between two and 400 people were dancing, which is high for a city of 20,000 people. Yeah. But it leads me to believe that not that many people died because we know that a lot of people did recover from this. It wasn't yeah. that... 75% of the people dancing dropped dead and that was it. Right. But at any rate, like at least dozens of people were dying. And they were dying of heart attacks, dehydration, and strokes, kind of in even numbers. Because again, it's the middle of July. It's very hot. They're dancing in the sun. They're being given wine and beer. Even better. To drink. <laughs> so. Oh my God. You know. I think, I think the best thing about this is that it almost sounds like the mo the worst party you can possibly go to. It sounds like a rave gone horribly wrong. It really does. It sounds like somebody went into a rave and like spiked it with something, but then forced everybody to keep dancing. Right. So the death toll is just really unclear. Uh, they didn't keep track of how many people actually died. And it almost makes me think that life was just cheaper back then, especially in the class of people who were getting sick and dying. Right. The plague and the famine are ripping through every few years. And it just doesn't sound like a big deal to the city how many people died, what their names were, etc., which is incredibly sad. But not unexpected. Not unexpected, exactly. So the spectacle of this huge stage and the draw of the music has an infectious effect on the city. It draws people in and they join the dancers. Oh no. And when the city starts giving wine and bread to the dancers as well, people join in for that because half of the city is starving or malnourished. Fair enough, yeah. And some of those people actually started dancing compulsively as well. Okay, sure. So this goes on for three weeks. And at this point, the city magistrates decide... <laughs> Their plan isn't working out as they had hoped, and it's time to try something else. And they decide to send all the dancers to that same St. Vitus shrine up in the hills, 30 miles away. The dancers and their families form this enormous procession, and they walk or ride in carts to the shrine, which takes a couple days to get everyone there. Okay. As you can imagine. At the grotto, they were met by three priests, and every afflicted person was given a new pair of red shoes. Did you come across this when you were reading about it? No. Okay. What? So I came across this <laughs> and there is absolutely no explanation. Okay. Like who paid for them? 300 pairs of shoes isn't cheap. No. Also, why are they red? Red dye is also not cheap. Like who made them? Do they get to keep them? I have so many questions. Okay, moving on. So with their fancy shoes on, the afflicted are led through a mass in the grotto and each dancer offers a penny to St. Vitus. That's to say, please stop torturing me. Here's a penny. I guess it's that same like indulgence thinking. That's not indulgence. That's, that's more along the line of like sacrifice. Okay. I get that. So when the mass is over, the dancing stops. Okay. The people who had been convulsing nonstop for the past few days or weeks are suddenly able to come to their senses and regain control of their bodies, which must have felt like a miracle. Sure. The procession goes back to the city in good health. The drought breaks, the crops survive, 
and they have their first good harvest in years. This is all directly after this intercession at the St. Vitus Grotto. Okay, so shout out to St. Vitus, good job. Yeah, I mean, in the next few years, Martin Luther's Protestant ideas uh, start kind of leavening the French Roman Catholic Church at the time. Yep. And, you know, gradually the stranglehold of the church lessens on Strasbourg. So with that, the extreme poverty begins to improve. And as Europe moves into the Renaissance, the middle class begins to grow and thrive. And it bears mentioning also the church begins to improve. Right. The the level of corruption, the, the people who want to make money in bad ways will go to where it's easiest to do that. This is why we have Wall Street. Back then, all these investment brokers would have just gone and joined the church. Oh, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Right? Like, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about hedge fund managers being in charge of your soul. I don't like that. I don't either, man. That's why I don't like this period of Catholicism. It... Anyway, St. Vitus anyway, cures Vitus everything. Great stuff. <laughs> solves every problem. Everybody has enough to eat. We're all happy now. Good. Uh, this incident draws a lot of attention over the next few years. So one of the first people to study it was a Swiss alchemist named... Philippus Aurelius Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim, which I did not make up for comic effects. You effect. just made up those words. Like, no, I what? Did not. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, he had a nickname. His nickname was Paracelsus, which is also Paracelsus. pretty cool. So he goes to Strasbourg about 10 years later, and he's a nosy person. So he interviews it. witnesses and makes a record of the event. He's the first person to suggest in writing that St. Vitus's wrath was not behind the dancing plague. He sees another cause. Oh, okay. What did he You ready for a Paracelsus quote? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. We will not, however, admit that the saints have power to inflict diseases and that these ought to be named after them, though there are many who, in their theology, lay great stress upon this supposition, ascribing them rather than to God than to nature, which is but idle talk. We dislike such nonsensical gossip as it is not supported by symptoms, but only by faith a thing which is not human, whereon the gods themselves set no value. Oh, Paracelsus, so mean. That is that is shots across the bow right it's there. It's so much shade. Ugh. All right. So he's on the right track, but then he ruins it and does not endear himself to me by blaming women. This dude really uh, hated women. He said that... That's not great. <laughs> <laughs> no, he hated women across the board, but in this particular instance, he said that these women, the sickness rises from the sensual inclinations of poor, uneducated women, oh, and that the cure would be subjecting those women, yep. just the women, because if men are afflicted, it was just because of the women. It was the women's fault, obviously. Yeah. Right. So he wants to put them in solitary confinement, have them fast. Uh, he offers up a little corporal chastisement, which is beating. Followed by an ice water bath. Wow. And that is supposed to cure anything that is wrong. Jeez, dude. It's just, yeah, it's harsh. It's harsh. So about 100 years later, a more sympathetic physician named Schenk von Graffenberg. Awesome. He described the incident and symptoms of what is still called St. Vitus Dance and concludes that the symptoms are caused by a nervous disorder, a type of hysteria. Okay. And a better remedy is just restraint to the point of exhaustion. So if you feel like you got to dance, you tie yourself to a chair. Sure, sure. And if it's near the feast days of St. John or St. Vitus, just do an afternoon of frantic dancing. Okay, sure. Yeah, get it out of your system. 
Yeah. Uh, we don't actually have time to get into the particulars of St. John's relationship to the uh, dancing plague. Uh, yeah, but it's worth getting into. <laughs> not not in this episode, but but those of you out there who uh, who who want to do a little extra reading, definitely get into why St. John also gets blamed for this. He's got his finger in a lot of pies. He's a busy saint. He's a, very He's a busy, busy saint. saint, yeah. We don't have time to get into the particulars of St. John's relationship to the dancing plague. But in Germany and many other parts of medieval Europe, he just plays a similar role to St. Vitus as his curse kind of afflicts sinners to dance uncontrollably and enter a trance state. Cool. So the feast days of each saint are still celebrated with, guess what? A dance? Lots of dancing. Yay! And it's expected to have kind of a cathartic effect. So you get... Dance it out of you. You dance it out. Dance it out. Nice. Uh, von Grafenberg does mention that music seems to make convulsive dancing last longer and present with worse symptoms, including death. Okay, so don't do that. Yeah, keep the music away. He also observes that a pregnant woman afflicted with the dancing sickness will usually give birth to a healthy, normal, full-term baby. Huh. Cool. So he's seeing it as something that is temporary and does not have a lasting effect and doesn't okay. pass from mother to child. I guess the big question is, did anybody think this was some sort of infectious agent or was it just not nah, a demon or it's hysteria? So if we look through a modern lens, like people sure. do, but not until much, much later. Okay. Okay. So if we look at it, you know, from our viewpoint, some things seem obvious right away. So first... Even though peasant women and the extremely poor were disproportionately affected by dancing sickness, they probably didn't do anything right. to cause the sickness. Right. They didn't get together and say, listen, <laughs> here's what we're going to do to really freak people out and get a new pair of red shoes. Right. Although superstition and religious faith probably made the symptoms much worse, you also can't blame poor, boiled-alive St. Vitus either. No, no. Right? The dude has his own stuff going on. It's not his fault. So obviously there's an element of mass hysteria at play. Okay. Where susceptible people experience emotional and physical symptoms as a group. Right. In this case, there's strong evidence of a psychological trigger. The fact that life was harsh, brutish, and short. The incredible stress and trauma of the few years leading up to 1518. Yep. Which can cause temporary conversion disorder, which is a neurological problem where the brain is normal but it's functioning abnormally, right. which results in loss of gross motor control and convulsions. This is something that's not widely understood, Okay. but neurologists seem to agree that there are cases where even though the brain isn't hurt or injured in any way, it can just stop working or it can start working very strangely. This huh. is an incredibly unsettling thought, Yeah. but we don't know much about brains. Speaking <laughs> as a 21st century person, we have a ways to go in understanding even how brains control bodies. Right. There's a lot of nuance there that I think we haven't gotten to yet. Okay. And of course, one of those nuances might explain dancing plagues. Uh, but there also might be an infectious agent at play. Okay. So in the past, historians have suggested ergo poisoning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we love to hate this theory, but I feel like we should go into it anyway. Definitely go into it. I'm not on the ergo train. <laughs> You're not an ergo fan? <laughs> not on the ergo train. Can't do it. All right. Well, ergo is a fungus. Yep. Uh, it can grow in rye grains and it can cause convulsions, hallucinations, and seizures when it's ingested. It is reasonable to think that the people in Strasbourg, since they were starving, might have eaten spoiled grain and become sick as a group. Sure. However. <laughs> However. 
Um, everyone reacts differently to ergo, mm-hmm. and it's unlikely that it would have resulted in mass hysteria. Or in people experiencing the mass hysteria in the same way. You'd have one guy off in the corner, you know, screaming at about demons and chewing on rocks while somebody else was dancing and somebody else was trying very hard to climb a tree. Ergo is actually an interesting substance in that it is structurally related to LSD. Yeah. And people on LSD don't share the same hallucination. There can be suggestions that make them hallucinate similar things, Mm -hmm. but you're not going to dose a bunch of people with ergo and have them all say, oh, we should start dancing. I mean, so yeah. eh. I am holding a special place for ergo just because I think that... Food poisoning is so poorly understood. Uh, I, <laughs> and, well, and funguses especially. Right. And these people were eating whatever they could get their hands on. And also, interestingly enough, with Ergo, Ergo may have been responsible uh, for the Salem witch trials. Yeah, I remember one of our aunties telling us that yep. when we were teenagers. Oh, yeah. And I was like, really? But here's the other thing that's interesting to me about the Ergo theory in this particular region. Mm-hmm. All of these dancing plague outbreaks and we're talking about the 1518 one today but there were a number of these yes um there's a very famous one in what was it, 1374 that sounds right um, germany virtually all of these outbreaks of dancing plague occurred along the rhine and the moselle rivers which are linked but they all have different climates and crops. In some of these places, rye won't even really grow very well, so you couldn't get ergo. No, but things are traded around, especially in famine years. You take what you could get. Absolutely, but it wouldn't explain why these outbreaks took place in these specific regions, even with stuff being traded around, because if stuff is being traded around, you'd think that that there would have been a dancing plague, you know, somewhere else, you know, in... in, uh, you know, Spain or Italy or Germany or something. And and instead, they're all right in this sort of region. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting thing, too. There is actually an outbreak that takes place in Madagascar. When? Yeah, 1863. What? I didn't hear about yep. that one at all. That's cool. I mean, Yeah, we'll talk about that not, in a minute. Not cool, but, you know. <laughs> not cool. Not cool. Okay. Sorry, Madagascar. Sorry, Madagascar. Jeez. But they definitely were not eating rye right. in Madagascar. Right. So... so. So the ergo theory has some holes in it. Let's take it off the table. Certain types of chorea, which we discussed earlier, are also linked to rheumatic fever, which comes from the strep bacteria. Did you know that? Yes, I did. I I had to do an extensive study on rheumatic fever. Good times. And that can be passed around through sneezes or shared water or food. A contagious disease like strep would explain the speed and spread of the outbreak, but not the sudden cure. Yeah. Uh, You don't tend to all recover in a group all at once. Yeah. Even if you're all exposed at around the same time. Uh, And also the musicians and the hired dancers did not get sick. Yeah. You would expect them to. And you might also expect to see more of an even distribution across social classes, but that's not the case with this dancing plague outbreak. Uh, They're all people who are working class and below. So that seems like another theory that probably doesn't check out. I'm reluctant to leave this one because it does explain certain aspects. Right. But yeah, let's set it aside. It doesn't explain everything. Although we should say at the outset, there are no theories that explain everything with this this outbreak. No. No. We don't know what happened. 
<laughs> I think it's possible there could have been an infectious agent at play as well as acute psychological stress triggering some kind of conversion disorder or something like that. Sure. I think it's like mass hysteria with a side of malnutrition, maybe. I mean, if you think about it, these are people living at the absolute worst conditions that humans can be expected to survive in a civilization. Mm -hmm. And they've been starving. Their diseases are running rampant. They have an incredibly strong but fearful faith. Right. And yeah, something like this might just be stress-induced psychosis, you know, just somebody snapping but instead of snapping in a way that you know leads them to stab a bunch of dudes they just start dancing and then somebody else is like oh my god that's that's how i stop feeling this way and then they can't stop i don't know i mean it does seem really interesting that there are so many other similar outbreaks in this area and it's also possible that the tragic end to the pied piper story is related to compulsive dancing are we going to talk about the pied piper did you come across this at all i did there was an outbreak in 1237 Mm -hmm. where a group of children traveled from erfurt to arnstad which is about a 12 mile journey Dancing the whole time. Oh, God. And for a lot of folklore collectors, that is perhaps one of the genesises of the Pied Piper of Hamelin's story. The earliest record we have of the Pied Piper of Hamelin's story is actually from the town of Hamelin sometime around 1300. Right. And it's set in 1284. And there's a lot of things, like the most common interpretation of the Pied Piper story is that it's a symbolic figure of death. Like, it's just, no matter what you do, death will get you in the end. But... I like that he's a locator, and he's sent out to gather German children to settle the Polish wilderness. Yeah, that's another one. (laughs) But if you look at the ending, where they're kind of, the children are all in a trance state, and they're all dancing out of town, compelled by the music, it does sound related. I don't know. To that outbreak in 1237, yeah. Just, uh, it's a scary thing to have happen. Of course. I mean, the whole thing is scary. I mean, there's there's the the 1278 one, where, Mm -hmm. uh, did you read about the bridge on the River Meuse? No, what happened? Oh my god. So, there was a bridge over the River Meuse, (laughs) and around 200 people just started dancing on it, and the bridge collapsed. Oh no. And they took all of the people to a nearby chapel dedicated to St. Vitus, and they recovered. That dude gets around. He's got a very narrow window of specificity, but he takes care of it. <laughs> well, he's one of the 14 holy helpers. Did you come across that? No, I did not know that. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's a group of saints that you can pray to if you're in trouble. Uh, you know St. Christopher, yep. right? If you Patron get saint lost. Exactly. Yep. But uh, he's also one of the helpers. If you pray to him, he'll help you get unlost or huh, whatever i did not know that. um and then there's like a, a saint you can pray to if you get burned yeah and there's another one you can pray to if you get knocked on the head i mean it just it just goes through like there's someone to pray to for everything uh so although we like to think that something like this would not happen in modern times uh. i am this is where i'm going to talk about eurovision i'm reserving judgment <laughs> on that <laughs> Because a smaller scale but eerily similar incident occurs in 1863 in Madagascar. Yeah. And we're looking at identical onset, symptoms, religious fervor, and sudden spiritual cure. Yikes. And these guys are not Roman Catholic. They're ancestor worshippers. Okay. 
Okay. But it's the exact same thing. They make a pilgrimage to offer the saint. An offering? Right. And after weeks of this compulsive dancing, they were cured. Cool. So there has to be something in this kind of story that crosses cultural, linguistic, spiritual lines. I mean... That we just don't understand yet. It could just be that sometimes physically moving feels better than sitting still and... Right. We don't understand the exact mechanisms of mass hysteria or conversion disorder or a lot of other weird things that go on with our brain and our motor system. And I'm sure we can all think of a time in our lives where we physically tried really hard to sit still and we fidgeted, especially when Mm -hmm. we're listening to music and watching people dance. And we kind of have felt our bodies, like our whole system, pick up the rhythm and want to join in, even if we're sitting still and we know we need to stay sitting still. Right. This past weekend, I was lucky enough to watch Eurovision 2021, and I experienced (laughs) this when the song from Lithuania came on. Uh, which is a very dancey, bouncy number. Mm -hmm. I could not physically sit still, and my kids were making fun of me, so I was trying to sit still, and I could not because it was such good music, and the dancers were so good. Like, my whole body just wanted to stand up and dance. Okay. Okay. So you can't, like, you can't completely dismiss this as people who did not have willpower or the discipline to stay still or, like, could not tell their bodies what to do. So, because we've all been there, right? We've all like yeah. tapped our feet to music. Do you want to know my favorite conspiracy theory with this? I actually want to sing you the song from Lithuania now. So this is my favorite conspiracy theory. You ready? Oh, this needs, this is crying out for a conspiracy theory. Give it to me. The whole thing was staged. And here's mm-hmm. why. They had banned dancing, right? Mm-hmm. But people like dancing. People love it, yeah. And so... You couldn't be punished if you weren't in control of yourself. Mm. You couldn't be sinning if it wasn't your choice. So, under a, this uncontrollable mania... So, the only thing that makes me hesitant to subscribe to this otherwise excellent theory mm-hmm. is that you ruin your feet when you compulsively dance for six days straight with no rest. Yeah, I guess that's probably... True. Like your friends are going to be able to dance after you get the dancing band lifted, but you are on the sidelines. This poor woman who started this probably huh. did not dance for a while, no. if ever. And it, what, what's interesting about this is that it did disproportionately affect women. Yes. That was Paracelsus's thing. Well, it was like it was all women. Come on. It's and, Eve. Yeah. She makes them weak. <laughs> I also like the weird factoid. That mm-hmm. people would have odd reactions to the color red and the color black. Yes. Did you come across this? I did. I didn't want to get into it because it's so crazy. Like, I can't... Nothing I read could explain aversions to the color red. I mean, nothing Nothing that either of us read can explain this entire thing, so why not? And the red shoes. I wonder if that has something to do with that. Mm. I feel like if we were Roman Catholic, we would know more. Because <laughs> it's got to be symbolic of something. Well, a lot of these people are visualizing red things when they're dancing they're seeing rivers of blood and john the Baptist's bloody head yep maybe that has something to do with it obviously satan is involved <laughs> satan's colors are red and black <laughs> well just the home colors when they play away they're green and white anyway <laughs> sorry so that is that's all i had did you want to add anything i think i added enough in there
Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact-check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know. You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly, why not use our Instagram at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope that you've enjoyed the story and the discussion, and please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. My brother has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Greg? Well, um, staying in the realm of entertainment, Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to go to a subject that is near and dear to my heart, and one of my favorite disasters of all time, the... Video Game Crash of 1983. Yes! Let's do it. Video games are like a ubiquitous form of entertainment now, but we came so close to having them die out forever. And it has to do with an overmarketed company, a ton of terrible games, and E.T. I knew aliens were going to come into this. (laughs) Awesome. Can't wait to discuss with you.